Mark 1. Conversations at the speed of sound. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Mac 1, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. My name is Gary Hills. I am a QAM volunteer and happy to be your host for this conversation with past president and chaplain and long-time member and volunteer of the Queensland Air Museum, Mr Cliff Robinson, as he describes to me in our studio some of the detail of an epic, an epic adventure, he calls it, uh, a, a salvage expedition to retrieve three or three and a bit aircraft that are to this day on display at the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. So this is my conversation with Cliff Robinson. Now, Cliff, the uh, the Queensland Air Museum has in its possession, I believe, almost 100 aircraft, of which more than 70 are on display at any one time. How does the QAM come by these aircraft? Well, in many cases, <coughs> they've been acquired either through uh, the offices of some good folk who tell us about them and uh, or else we have to bid on them uh, generally round about at scrap value or there are specific donations from various people so specifically when we talk about the Sentosa aircraft this is a mixture of a number of things first of all we had were told about them by a commercial airline pilot who knew Ron Cuscali and who was also based in Singapore and had found what was going on there. So Ron Cuscali being a founding member and current historian of QAM. Yes, indeed. The aircraft were on Sentosa Island. Now where is Sentosa Island? Well, Sentosa Island sits a hundred yards off the mainland of Singapore. <laughs> but that hundred yards at our t- in our time had to be crossed either on a cable car very high up or else on the water by ferry boat, which is how, of course, we had to face it. So we were advised by this airline pilot of these aircraft the four aircraft that were uh, sitting there and were to be removed, disposed of one way or the other. They had by then been sold to a scrap metal merchant. So we negotiated with the scrap metal merchant and uh, a price was agreed. We then had to get permission from the Sentosa authority who otherwise were uh, developing the island that we could leave them there for a month or two while we got our act together and managed to get over there to do something about it. Okay well let's let's get into the expedition in a moment. My question firstly what happens on Sentosa now if you went to Singapore what would Sentosa be Well if you go to Singapore now Sentosa Island is the fun island uh, it's it's the recreation place. Okay. 
for Singapore. And was it at that time the same when you went there? It was heading in that direction. They wanted to build it up in this format. So they were already faced with a number of, of things on the island. First of all, these aircraft had been put there uh, from the Singapore Air Force and uh, were being uh, assembled, shall we say, as the beginnings of a museum-type thing. And there were food vendors and things like that. So designed for tourists and designed for for recreation. The other thing on the island was a couple of forts from World War Two or uh, before World War Two. How so they had the aircraft there as part of like a theme park, I guess you'd yes. say. What were these four aircraft? Well the four aircraft, first of all there was a DC three. Then there were three British aircraft. You had a de Havilland C Vixen, the largest and la- and latest of the de Havilland uh, twin boom uh, aircraft. There was a Gloucester Meteor and there was a Hawker Hunter. So these had all been sitting on the island now for some few years, I think, and uh, authority on the island wanted them cleared in order to develop the recreational ends of the island. Now if you go to Sentosa, you find yourself walking into a massive shopping area as well as the other outlying things that are going on. Okay, so somebody alerted Ron Cuskelly uh, about these aircraft and that they were due for scrapping. Scrapping. Yes, and so somebody thought that it would be a good idea to rescue them and to salvage them. Now this this is quite a thing to attempt Well, it's a thing to attempt, but the point from our point of view was that we at at that time had a museum with eight or ten aircraft in. Okay, so what year are we talking? 1989, I think? It's That's about it, yes. And we had the opportunity to grab uh, and add to our collection substantially in one hit. Yes. But the problem, of course... Was that they were in Singapore, in Sing- that's right. <laughs> not in Australia, and uh, they're not the simplest and smallest things to shift. There must have been a significant amount of logistical planning involved. Let's not even talk about the expedition itself yet. How did you set something like that up? Well, first of all, you had to find a team of blokes who were prepared to go, and um, when the meeting looked at it, there were six men who volunteered to go. Uh, It required that we should uh, get agreement, first of all, from the scrap dealer to sell us the three aircraft we wanted because we knew we would had no chance of shifting the DC-3. Yeah, it's too large. Too large altogether. Yeah. Uh, And well and truly outside the, the size of thing that you can poke into a shipping container. Right. Um, we also, ha- having got the agreement of the uh, the scrap dealer, we then had to get the agreement of the Sentosa Authority to delay the removal of them until we had time, mm. A, to get ready and B, to get over there and do the job. 
we ended up paying fifteen grand okay. to get them. So and the Sentosa Authority were they easy to deal with? How, they how was that? Were not easy to deal with in the first instance. They agreed to delaying the removal time, but they were otherwise came up with a, a number of conditions about the way we operated on the island and what we could do, what we couldn't do. And so we had to scratch our heads a little bit about how we would get around some of their requirements. One way we did it was that we borrowed the wrecking truck or the scrap truck from the scrap dealer, complete with crane and... Uh, unfortunately, not exactly a normal type of hook on the bottom, but in fact a grab that would mm. grab scrap metal yeah. and be able to handle it onto a truck or of onto course, a whatever. Yeah. So a claw, basically. A claw, basically, yeah. yes. Then, of course, anything that we were going to move had to be got on and off the island, which could only be by ship or barge, as we found. This barge is 100 feet long, 30-odd feet wide, and has a 30-tonne crane on it. So it's like a vehicle barge, I guess. Is it? Yes. Yeah. We finally got uh, acceptance, and um, on that basis we went to see what we could do. We so really did not know whether we would be able to get all three. Had you been there for a scouting expedition first? No. So you hadn't even been there? We hadn't even been there, although one of the local airline pilots who had brought us this information was able okay. to talk to us and I think show us some photos of the place. Okay. There was several campsites on the island, buildings that are there, and, of course, the buildings were there because the island was originally set up with these guns facing towards the mainland. So, of course, there had to be accommodation for the men that were manning the guns. And this accommodation was being used by a number of groups, youth groups or other people similar to that. And we were able to obtain the hire of one of these units uh, for ourselves with the slight qualification that I think on the second weekend we were there they had a camp running so we had to get out and uh, go back to Singapore itself to hotel accommodation in order to do the job. And you're paying for this all yourselves? The original uh, cost for the scrap dealer uh, was covered by one of our members, uh, but uh, the individual members of the team that went covered their own expenses. Now, I remember you telling me about the uh, salvage operation for the Avro Anson, and I believe you were, you know, if I recall, you were, that was quite primitive. You know, you didn't mm. even have running water where, yes. where you were staying. So this is a step up from that, but it's uh, so it sounds almost ideal. Was it idyllic? It was interesting. <laughs> um, first of all, you had cold water supply only. 
uh, we had to scrounge cutlery and crockery uh, and most of our tea drinking was done out of a soup bowl and every evening, of course, the mosquitoes descended and every afternoon the daily downpour occurred (laughs) and, of course, the island was populated to a degree by rats. And when one talks about rats, they're not the size of rats you have in Australia. They are the size of well-fed cats. Wow. And they run around very much in the drainage channels. And, of course, with the rainfall, anyone who's been to Singapore knows that it is perpetually humid. Uh, That must have been uncomfortable for working in. Yes, well... um, We couldn't exactly strip down to um, nothing because uh, the island was being visited by visitors all the time who were being taken around by bus. And and so they would come and climb all over the aircraft that you're working on so to be able to take photographs. So now you say there were six of you, was that right? Yes, that's correct. And was the plan to stay there until the job was finished or were you ferrying backwards and forwards to Australia? No, we stayed there until the job was finished, although we didn't know whether we'd really be able to finish the job. Of course, or how long it would take. No. How long were you there in total? We were there for four weeks. Okay. And four hard-working weeks. Exactly. Yeah. And there were some other complications as well, such as two of us getting shingles, Mm. one or two other illnesses cropping up and one or two relatively small but unfortunate uh, accidents. Mm. I was going to ask you, Mm. Mm. nothing serious though? Nothing too serious. But but a delay and certainly unfortunate. Well, when we arrived, we had, of course, with us Toolboxes. Each of us had a toolbox with what we thought we needed for the sort of job we'd be doing. But when we arrived and got off the plane, there were some complications because of these toolboxes. We ended up having to take them up escalators and that involved a fall on the escalators with Uh. at least one of our blokes and uh, further damage getting on the, the... bum boat afterwards or next day to get it to the island itself because although uh, there was a ferry, they wouldn't take the toolboxes. I see. So we had to get them into bum boats and get them across. Now, for our listener, what's a bum boat? Well, it's a a road, a a boat that's rowed by uh, one of the locals. It's a very small, a little dinghy, basically. It's a dinghy, a slightly oversized dinghy perhaps, but... Right. So several trips, I imagine, Indeed, in the dinghy. Yes. And so you were there for four weeks. There were some injuries. There was some illness. There was certainly a lot of hard work, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Tell us about those, something about those four weeks. They must have been fairly intense. They surely were. First of all, on the islands of St. as I said, we already had this accommodation available, despite the fact that it had no cooking facilities. Now, fortunately for us, there were several food outlets on the island 
for the visitors that come every day. So we were able to get food. After the first day, which was virtually a fasting day all the way... Uh, it's good we were, for the soul, Cliff. Good yes, for the soul. Yes, good for the soul indeed. <laughs> and uh, also the waistline. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So we were able to get an evening meal uh, from one of these outlets and uh, we also, of course, made our own lunches and breakfast and so on, just brought, brought in what we needed. For us to get around the island, there was a monorail, mm. but we finally were able to get actually a ferry and monorail pass, if you like, that more or less gave it to us for free for the, for the remaining four weeks. The island had its own police force. Really? Well, I say police force, is about five or six policemen. They came and read us the riot act about what we could do and couldn't do and what we could touch. We couldn't even take a branch off a tree. All these things had to be protected. Generally speaking, they were not at all cooperative until we, one of us, took a trip over to the mainland and had an interview with Mr Lee Kuan Yew. Wow, the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister. Mr Lee wrote a little note and sent it over to the island and suddenly there was a lot of cooperation. Not excessive, but... Nevertheless, a lot. For instance, eventually, we were able to obtain the use of an oxyacetylene set. And uh, we were able to move the aircraft when we were finally ready with them at midnight uh, or only after midnight on a particular night to get them down to the wharf where we would hopefully load them on the barge. So there were all these sorts of things went on. And how did you come to be meeting with Lee Kuan Yew? Was that part of the plan for the trip? It was not part of the original plan, but once we had these difficulties, okay, so it was specifically with the local authority, that. Yeah, yeah, that was the time to get your hands in. Great move, in. good That's move. Right. So clearly, you know, they were not against what you were doing and they were happy to facilitate it and perhaps to get you out of there. <laughs> exactly, to get us out of there. This was the thing they were seeing. Yeah. And once the word came to the Sentosa Development Organisation to help us, then suddenly a number of difficulties disappeared. I see. And now, there must have been a plan of work. You must have assessed these aircraft, figured out a process. Uh, was that a simple task? Not entirely. You have to realise that apart from the Meteor, we didn't have a Hunter in Australia, nor do we have a Sea Vixen. So we had nothing physical that we could prepare a plan of attack on. All we could do was guess at it from articles mm -hmm. and uh, photos and um, use our own brains. So we came and we, when we saw the, the job, we started on it with the hunter. And uh, this involved getting the rather large connecting bolt 
nut arrangement out of the wings, for which we didn't have the appropriate spanners. <laughs> Number one need to go back to Singapore City, find a hardware store and see what we could buy. Well, we found more than a hardware store. We found a whole building of hardware stores with about three or four on each floor and about ten floors. So we were able to go up and down looking for the size of spanner that we needed. And we found it. Okay. One of the funny things was that we came to one store and the maybe 40-year-old proprietor or apparent proprietor of the store interviewed us and what do we want and we told him I think it's around about a, a one and five sixteenth or one and five eighths ring spanner so he calls in aged father from the bowels of the store <laughs> and um, there's a long Chinese conversation ensues aged father shuffles off in his slippers into the back of the store and then out, as we found out later, round to other stores. Ten minutes later, he comes back with the spanner that we want. The next thing I suppose we could say is that we had this truck with the crane, with the claw, and that was what we were going to dismantle or handle the aircraft with. This truck is an ancient Bedford of unknown vintage and origin and you have to have the engine running while you're using the crane. So that means this truck is ringing loose bits and pieces in your ears all the time. Mm. And yes, we managed to do the first day's work on the job and uh, next day when we came to use it, one of the rear axles split and it unwound like a piece of old rope. Here we're faced with a Bedford truck of unknown age. We require an axle as we started ringing around. We're told there are three sizes of axle and there is a place that says they have them. This is afternoon by now. So we asked him if he'd stay behind while we got there. This involved getting across onto Singapore, getting a taxi to the other side of Singapore, it seemed, (laughs) to find this particular auto parts dealer. And he turns out to have the right one. He brings out the three, we compare, because I'd had to carry the broken axle with me in order to have know what length we want. And he does it. He comes up with it. It's not an impossible price. We were able to buy that. I then hop back in the taxi all the way over to Sentosa Island and march proudly up the street waving these things <laughs> at, the, at the boys uh, to show them. That was that the actual run. That was the <laughs> yeah. We worked that night until mm. about one o'clock in the morning. Because you'd lost most of the day. Because we'd you? lost the day. Mm. We'd had to drain the oil out of the diff, of course, uh, because there's no other oil on the, on the island. We had to save that oil. 
which of course was full of little bits of gritty um, mm. steel, but it had to go back in, having been strained through cloth. We finally got the thing running again and then that truck ran, I won't say happily, but it ran for the rest of the trip. Volunteering can be good for your physical health and mental well-being. Get active and get involved with interesting tasks, significant and important projects and meet new people by joining the volunteers at the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. We're all volunteers here. Whether it's in our restoration workshops and our aero engine shop, restoring and maintaining airframes and engines, as well as our grounds and buildings, or in our library, boasting one of the largest and most significant collections of RAAF materials in Australia, with tens of thousands of items to be catalogued, administered and cared for. Or on our front counter, providing excellent customer service to our visitors. There's a place for you. It could be one day a week or seven. We will train you and equip you for the area that suits you best. Get in touch through our website. We would love to hear from you. Become a volunteer at the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. Now, I, I, you said the Sea Vixen was, was the largest, that was the DH-110, and I think that was the last of the three that you were able to dismantle and move, and also the most difficult. Yes. Is that correct? What, what that made it correct. so difficult? You have a central nacelle in which are two the pilot and the navigator. You have two, uh, two engines, of course, and two booms that carry the tailplane out the back. Those booms were held on to the, we'll call it the extension of the fuselage, by a ring of screws. Now, when you talk of a ring of screws, the sort of thing that you can think of does not really match these screws. First of all, they are countersunk head, but the countersink is of a semicircular groove which can only be held by something that you manufacture to fit it. Those screws then have a section which is a ream fit in the boom because it's going to hold it on you don't want it flapping about and then after that there is a screwed section at the end for a nut to go on that nut of course is a lock nut and it is only accessible through a small hole in the boom which enables you to get your eyes in or your arm in but not both at the same time (laughs) and so how do you undo these screws well first of all you have to be able to hold that tapered head with a slot in it that is far too big for a screwdriver of any size Mm -hmm. so you have to make a tool Mm -hmm. 
that will fit that. Which you did. Which we did. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to use that slot to unscrew it out of the fitted part, that is the reamed section. But before all of that, you've got to be able to break the the nut out yeah. from where it is. It's it's a lock nut. Does it have a pin that's locking it in? Not there? a pin. Or no. No, yes, it does. I beg your pardon. It has, yes, it's a castellated mm-hmm. type of lock nut. Yep. And the only way you can get at that pin is you can get a socket on a handle through the hole and if you can get it on the nut, you can then break where the nut has been peened over. So to hold this item that is going to unscrew, the slotted head of the screw, you have have the the tool you've made, basically a, a big screwdriver that's been ground to shape. On top of this, you have a six foot length of timber one end of which is poked in a hole in the wing. The other end, you've got six foot hanging out here and you've got me hanging on the end of that. My arm outstretched on the socket wrench trying to break this plaster. I wish our listeners could see your pose right at the moment because <laughs> you're, you're enacting this Indeed. bit of acrobatics that you, you had Indeed. to do. Contortion. I'm basically lying on the top of the, of the wing. Mm. One and you can't see what you're doing, really. You can feel it from yeah. through the yeah. Okay, but and that's one on each side, is it for it's each not, boom? Not one on each side. It's around about twelve on each. Side. Twelve on each side. <laughs> so I have to repeat that process twenty-four times, twenty-three times. Once you did it the first time, did it get easier? No, you just got ornierer. <laughs> <laughs> you got tireder. Yes, yes. right. How long would that process have taken, do you think? Just that very process of Probably the 20... a couple of days at least. <sighs> okay. So somebody, some genius in the, uh, at, um, at de Havilland came up with this method and they would have had the workshops and the tools to deal with it, I imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, of course, the Sea Vixen being the Sea Vixen, <clears throat> this particular aircraft had been brought out sitting on the nose of an aircraft, British aircraft carrier with the intention of basing it at Singapore as a replacement for the aircraft that were on the carrier. On the nose of the carrier, spray. Yeah. By the time it gets there, the wing fold bolts are seized solid. And eventually the only way we could cut the wing fold was to cut oxy-cut the brackets. By the time it was delivered to Singapore, it was quite useless, wasn't it? Yes. And it had 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 a very chequered history anyway, from what I've read, you know, a number of incidents with faulty undercarriage and fires and and collisions, and it was a very... (laughs) It's a cursed aircraft by the sound of it. I think it was. So that was the way of it, you know, we... We're still left left with a big lump, as you can see if you look at it in mm. the in the hangar here. It is a big lump of aircraft. So then there's the task of actually transporting it. Am I jumping ahead too far? Well, not necessarily. The point being, you want to be able. 
we had to tow these aircraft down the road, roads on Sentosa to get to a wharf, a ramp near a wharf, where the barge crane could pick the aircraft up and put it on itself. One of the problems, of course, was that one of the main wheels on the Sea of Vixen was flat. Could you blow it up? No. <laughs> what did we do? Well, we had made the acquaintance of a Chinese businessman and he said, I think we can get a tube for that. So we went off with the businessman and the, t- and the wheel into a tyre place and, yes, they could come up with a tube that would go in it. They had never attempted to undo a aircraft tyre of, of this course. sort of dimension. Of course. And it was a massive effort for an hour and a half or something or other like that. But finally they did it. Mm. And we blew it up and we carried it back and it stayed up. Wonderful. So would the barge then takes it to some kind of a shipping transportation? It takes it to the, so to the, the wharf. Well, we had to take all three aircraft up there bit by bit. The only thing was we could get the, the hunter dismantled into two containers and we could also get the booms and the outer wings from the sea vixen into those containers and the outer wings from the meteor so that by the time we finished the job and this four weeks has gone on now we were blessed with the fact that we had two containers down at uh, the particular wharf we also had the Sea Vixen fuselage and the Meteor fuselage taken down there and they were left then. Uh, in fact, we sealed up the two containers and effectively sent them off before we left. But the other two were left sitting on the wharf hoping that we'd be able to get some transport in the future. Are we talking John Burke shipping here? We are talking John Burke shipping okay. that, that actually brought them, uh, they were brought to Australia on another ship to Townsville. Townsville, John Burke brought them back. I see. Brought them down to Brisbane and from Brisbane we had to get them up to Caloundra. Wow. I should have mentioned, of course, that Qantas mm. flew us over there and brought us back for nothing. Really? That was their contribution. Well, that that's their that's, contribution. That's good. There are, in fact, there are, I think there are about 22 or something companies that contributed somewhere along the line the to this process. Yes, right. we'll, we'll let people see that list. There's a very impressive plaque that has been bolted. Well, it, it's, it's next to the Meteor in Hangar 2. There and is I believe one it lists, for each of the three aircraft. And they list the, the fact mm. that this was the Sentosa mission and these were the supporters and sponsors. Yeah. What strikes me as you're reading this list of of companies and individuals is the requirement to be in contact with them, to seek their assistance, to explain the expedition, to, you know, that's, a, again, another logistical exercise, isn't it? It is. It is, and there were several of us involved mm. in all that, including Dick Hitchens, who was uh, still a member, who uh, was still alive at that stage. Now, he was a founding member, I believe, of the he museum. He is a founding member, yes. 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 
Cliff, it's an, an incredible story of, to me, of resilience and, and people who actually are motivated to achieve a very complicated and, let's face it, physically difficult and demanding task. Why do you do – why did you do that? Like it, you weren't doing it for fun. What, what was the point of this whole exercise? Like what, what motivated you? Well, we had set ourselves to building an air museum. It needs – Exhibits. It was something that could be done. It was something we wanted to do. And, yeah, there was a degree of adventure in it. But when you say adventure, now I left my wife and the kids running our business for a month with other one or two other assistants. That was something I'd not like to do. have to do again. Mm. Everybody else had to take time off work. And Ron had to be available on the phone back here for our urgent needs. Okay. Which might be extra, which was extra money at times. Yeah, I mean, people come into the museum here and they see the airframes, they see the, the displays, and I wonder how many of them think what work and effort and expense went into getting this here, restoring it, you know, because then once they were here, you had to reassemble them. They have to be maintained once they're here and that's uh, heartbreaking things about having these uh, marvellous displays is finding the number of people and the resources to not just restore them but maintain them. However, they're here and uh, they weren't when you started and I believe they've been called the Sentosa orphans, these three (laughs) aircraft. That is correct. Do you, is there a story behind that? What? Not particularly. Okay. Just there's four lonely aircraft sitting there. Um, let's go and give them a home. And what became of the DC three? Do you know? The DC three was cut up by the uh, by the uh, scrap dealer. Okay. With the exception that we asked him for the propellers, which he left lying on the ground for us. And those propellers, if you like, are now sitting on the Ventura. Cliff, you've given us a sense of this adventure, let's face it, mm. difficult, hard, costly and required you know, quite a degree of commitment and stamina on your part, but, it, but an adventure nonetheless. Yes. And uh, the adventure continues in the sense that people are able to see these aircraft and hear their history and be a part of what they uh, represent. Yes. So. Well, at the time that we did this... There was no other hunter in Australia, and there certainly wasn't a sea vixen. Yes, uh, that's significant, absolutely. Cliff Robinson, past president and long-time volunteer and member of the Queensland Air Museum, thank you so much for that story. I, it, it just makes me prouder than ever to be a part of the Queensland Air Museum and to invite everyone who's listening, if you haven't been here or if you didn't know those stories and you want to investigate them further, please come and visit us. We're open from 10 till 4 every day except Christmas Day and Easter Friday and we would love to welcome you and allow you to take part in that adventure as a visitor at the Queensland Air Museum. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you.